Well, amen. I think I got enough left after that to get through the sermon. All right. Well, may the Lord have His uh, way in our hearts this morning. And if you would, please take your Bible this morning and find the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. A few weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 19. And of course, the, the angry crowd is, uh, you know, kind of pushing Paul out of the city there, and he's about to depart. And this morning, as we look to Acts chapter 20, Paul reminds us that there are challenges uh, that are ahead. And certainly, throughout the centuries that the church has existed here on this earth, the church has always been at odds with the world, and there are always challenges that face the church, and, and uh, today there are certainly challenges that face uh, our church, the church in the West in particular, um, and uh, we need to realize that, and we need to accept the challenge. We need to face that challenge, and Paul gives us some great instruction today, I believe, with respect to obedience, and why this is important. important. We all need a cause to live by. People need an adventure. People need a purpose. People need to realize that purpose. Uh, nothing worse than just spinning your wheels and not having direction. Uh, God gives us that direction. We can know the will of God. And then we are to seek uh, to fulfill that will and call of God in our lives. So here in Acts chapter 20, going to have a pretty lengthy uh, read this morning just to get the context of how this is going to unfold. So we'll begin in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. And I want to ask you, if you will, to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Beginning in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. From Altus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up 
speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way my, by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when He had said these things, He knelt down and He prayed with them all and then they wept freely and they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which He spoke that they would see His face no more. And they accompanied Him to the ship. Father, we love You and we thank You word. God, we thank you for the privilege to live in this moment. Lord, to be here according not to our will, but Lord, to be here according to your will, your divine purposes. We are not living in this century by mistake, but Lord, we are here for an eternal purpose. God, help us to take the words that the Apostle Paul has said through the power and the inspiration of God this morning that we would take heed to these words, that we would understand that there are challenges that are ahead of us. We need to accept those challenge, challenges to rise to the occasion to be the people that you have called us to be. Help us to be faithful and to obedient. And God, encourage us today to bring forth this abundance of fruit in our life as a result of the Holy Spirit having full reign and complete control of our lives. Lord, we need you and we love you. And we pray, God, that you would move people to obedience today. Lord, for those that are not saved, that you would call them to repentance. That, Lord, we would be obedient completely to what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 that we are to become disciples of Christ and that the entire person would be a disciple. Uh, the spirit, the soul, and the body. And, and, and the essence of who we are, are is, is spiritual in nature. We are... Uh, the, the spirit identifies who we belong to. And we can look at the Apostle Paul's life and realize that like many of us, we're, we're, all of us are born, we come into this world not saved and get lost, but we come into this world uh, lost, we're, we're, we're depraved, we're not running to God. As the Scriptures teach us, uh, there's no righteous, none righteous, and nobody is, is running toward God, we're all seeking our own way. And we may be looking for heaven in the process, but we're not running toward God. It was God who come to us when we could not go to Him. And God's made a way when there was no way. And we can look back in Acts chapter 19 and we realize that all of the disturbance of the town and the reason that Paul was run from city to city was not because he was preaching a way to heaven, but it was because he was preaching the way to heaven. And the scriptures say that emphatically, that Paul taught them the way. And we know the Word of God, that was not preachers that come up with that terminology. The Lord Jesus said Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except 
He come through me. I must come by the way of the cross through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that message that Paul preached, it was, it was something that ran counter to what the Jews believed and it ran counter to what the Greeks believed. They, they didn't care necessarily, we understand, but when, but when a person began to give their life over to Christ and the spiritual nature of that person changed, their identity was now in Christ, they began to change their personality, their soul their mind, their emotions, what they thought, and then what they committed their body to do, it would be different. They would no longer buy the shrines and the little whatnots that, that the silversmiths made. And so the economy of, of, of the Ephesians and of Asia was being hurt by the fact that Paul preached the way and sinners were coming to salvation through Jesus Christ. It was a message that they opposed and it is a message that our world opposes today. When God, see we, we understand from scripture that when God changes the spirit, everything else changes. That's why the Bible doesn't talk about conforming to some new pattern of life, but being transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind through Jesus Christ. See, God gets inside and then he works his way outward. It doesn't happen the other way. Kind of like termites, you know, they start in and then by the time you see it, it's already transformed your house to a substance like powder, basically. The Spirit of God works internally and makes its way outward. And that is what Paul preached and people were coming to saving faith and it was changing the culture and therefore it would not be tolerated. So Paul is leaving one location and he's going to another and at this particular point, he calls for the elders at Ephesus. He calls for those who have been with him for three years, overseers of the church, and he's, and he's really imparting to them really his last uh, will, or his desires to them as a church. And we understand that that church at Ephesus was very much responsible for much of the church activity in the first century. It was very important. And so Paul says to the elders, you know, you're the overseers. You're in charge. You're the leaders. You're the officers. You're the teachers. And, and when I leave, there's going to be things that are going to happen. Trouble is going to come. See, we understand from the life of Paul, he started out as Saul. He started out persecuting the church. But when God saved him, everything changed. And in, and in a culture today, when... It doesn't matter. When God saves people, substantive change happens. That still happens. And this church was needed. This church was part of the first century of the church growing and moving through the Roman Empire and reaching people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was telling them what? That there were going to arise challenges. And that they needed to accept that challenge and to, and to, through obedience, overcome the obstacles that were going to be put and placed in their way. Folks, we're dealing with that in our culture today. There are all manner of obstacles that are being put into the pathway of little boys and girls that are trying to hinder them from being under the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, and coming to saving faith in Jesus. That's why we minister to students. That's why we invest in them because we want to see little boys and girls come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then as a church, we want to disciple them. We want to train them to love and serve Jesus. And that in and of itself is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who learns a discipline. And we're to teach 
the, the principles and the precepts of God. And Paul says to this group, he says, there are going to be those that come after me that are going to teach another discipline. There are going to be those that rise up. He mentions savage wolves. He mentions those that would be coming in to, to uh, purposefully be deceitful. To purposefully sow lies. Uh, in other words, to, to take sheep that did not know and to confuse them and to, and to condemn them eternally to hell. That's what a savage wolf does, devour sheep. But he said there would also be some who would rise up from the ranks of the church, who would get tired of the disciplines of Christ, and then they would come up with their own, he says, who would pervert. In other words, that means to twist. That means to distort. That means to turn, uh, you know, take a, a truth of Scripture, but only proclaim half of it. And, and to purposefully... Uh, lead to a softer, kinder, kinder, more gent gentle gospel that doesn't save. It is a form of godliness. It is a form of the gospel, but it lacks the power. See, see we're in that today. We, we've been trying to soft sell the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for 30, 40, 50 years now. It doesn't work. As I have said before, and I'll say it again, church, we are living in a day and age when people are deceived to even this, this nonsense of thinking that in the beginning God did not make them male and female and to a culture that will not accept something as so true as that is not going to be converted through the soft selling of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to take a little bit more something to take someone out of that level of stupor and deception then then God wants us to all come together and sing Kumbaya and get along. That ain't the gospel. At some point, no matter how kind your outreach is, which it should be, and it should be loving, but at some point in my life and in your life, the Scriptures taught me that I was wrong and God was right and there was a hell to shun and there was a heaven and I needed to make a choice and God would not allow me to straddle the fence in worldliness and make it to heaven because that ain't the way. And when we preach the way, and we teach the way it is going to run counter to this culture and it will cause some to be offended. And Paul said, I'm leaving. And there will be those who come to deceive you. Rise to the occasion, church. That's what Paul's saying. Notice what he says in verse 22. Really, the, ess the essence of what I'm preaching is verse 22, 23, and 24. But it, it, it's just good to get the context of that. By the way, if we back up to Acts chapter 20, Paul sees this coming. And he, and, he, and, he, and he just really, he presses the gas on the need to equip the church. And he's kind of like somebody when, when you know your time is getting near and you've got to leave and you're just cramming everything you can think of. Paul says, I've not neglected to share all of it with you. I've shared, I've shared the things that are comfortable to you as well as those things that are uncomfortable to you. He says, I've shared the full counsel of God. And you can see in, that, in chapter 20, when you read it, he's, he's trying to just cram as much as he can because he knows he's leaving and he's not coming back. You know, in chapter 20 we find 
For those of you who think I might preach long, we find Paul preaching to midnight. He says there were many lamps. He preached to midnight to what interrupted the services was a little boy named Eutychus that fell out the third story window and died. I ain't long-winded. And Paul goes down there and sees him resurrected and then they go eat and come back and he preaches till morning. We're doing just fine. And even after all that, Paul says, I I just feel like there's so much I'm not able to tell you to teach you. Because Paul understands what is laying ahead. But yet he says he's not discouraged. In verse 22 he says, See now I go bound in the Spirit. God's conviction is binding him. The word that is used there means to put on heavy fetters, heavy chains, strong ropes, to be bound that there is no escape. And Paul's saying that the will of God, the purpose that God has for me, it is compelling me, binding me, that I must go to Jerusalem. See, we need to understand something this morning, that obedience helps you and I live on the edge of whatever happens. Because circumstances change. Circumstances change. And life is filled with disappointments. And sometimes it's major, major things. And sometimes it's, it's little things that over a period of time just, just make up and, and cause frustration in our culture. They're first world problems, but they're still problems. When we're living on the edge, obedience helps us to handle what comes our way because we're living for a greater purpose than the temporal things that are around us. Obedience helps us live on the edge of whatever may happen. See, everybody for the most part, we like the idea of a cause to live by So long as things are good. But what happens when things turn perilous? What happens when it gets dangerous? Then you find a separation real quick. I I will predict to you that if we continue on the trend that we are in this culture, the church is going to get smaller. And the reason the church is going to get smaller is because it's going to cost you something to be an open disciple of Jesus Christ. See, we're not used to this. Now, the church as a whole is used to this. Because we've got to understand something. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to preach to midnight, but I want you to... Prior, prior to about 1620... The idea of a government that gave a Christian the benefit of the doubt was just something you could imagine in your mind. It didn't exist. It had never existed. Throughout history, the church has never 
has never been on the side that we were given standing or status or rights. But when our culture was formed, those who brought this nation into existence, they appealed to a holy God and asked for divine favor in crafting a nation that would give Him glory. And that if we did give Him glory and honored Him in that way, that He would preserve that nation. What we've experienced, and when we talk about the exceptional aspect of America, it's not that we say we're better than everybody else. That's not what American exceptionalism means. It means that our base of government is the exception to the rule through history. Because when Paul talks about, Jesus talked about rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar, there is no Caesar in America. The government is the people. We've just done a lousy job of consenting to people, the wrong people. But the government is the people. Caesar is people, the people. Not some bureaucrat. Not, not, not what we have in Washington. We've, we've, we've flipped everything, but we don't... We, what we have experienced through the decades and, and, and the centuries as a nation of where Christians had the right to freely worship and to publicly proclaim the Word of God, to have ministries that would minister to people and do that openly without free of persecution, that is something the known world has never experienced before until America. And then we have people with the audacity to walk around and say what a terrible place this is. Brother, give me a destination that you want to go to and I will pay you to go there with one exception. You cannot come back. But I will gladly get you to whatever utopia you think you need to be at. Every generation, every culture is not without failure. We live in a fallen sinful world. But I am telling you there are a lot of worse places to be. And throughout history, Paul is speaking to a culture that does not know what we know today. They do not have what we have today. They don't have the rights to stand up in the assembly and for the law to be on our side. They didn't have that. If they were accused, they were guilty, and hopefully they could find a way out. That's not the way our culture is set up. But yet things are changing. Things are changing in our culture. It's not that they're changing the law. It's that we're just at a place in our culture, unfortunately, where it's not about law. It's about political will, power to govern, and that's it. And whoever is willing to believe how the political power and the public uh, uh, to do it, they do it. And, and I suspect that will continue unless we make that change. And Paul said this, and we need to understand this as a church, that times in our culture may be much more difficult in the years to come. Paul said, I'm bound to go. I'm not discouraged. And obedience helps us live on the edge of whatever may happen. Listen, I'm not being pessimistic. But I'm not going to be optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. I want to be realistic. Listen, we can have revival in our land. But we don't want revival in our land. We want the nonsense that we're putting up with every day in this land. And that's what we're getting. 
any church. Get together. Call a meeting. Say we want to reach people. Say we want to have revival. See how many people that show up. Say we want to pray for revival. See how many show up. Folks, listen. Paul's preaching with tears in his eyes. He says, for three years I've labored with you night and day. Tears. Sorrow in my heart. I know what lies ahead. Paul is desperate and we lack desperation in our culture today. Which is why we get what we get. There's a lesson here for teachers, for leaders. For those that are in a position of of teaching. Whoever is under the pastor or, or a Sunday school teacher or if you're you know, a director of some ministry, the people that you're ministering to will na- never rise above your level of commitment. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. Whatever you take serious, they might take serious. But I can assure you what you're not taking serious, they certainly won't. Paul says, I'm leaving. He calls the leadership. I'm leaving. You're the overseers. There's wolves coming. You you, you think you can compromise? You know what you have to do to wolves? You have to kill wolves. Metaphorically speaking, whatever, but you got to put them down. Because if you don't, they will devour the congregation. Paul's saying, are you ready for this? There's a challenge coming. Are you going to rise to that occasion? Are you going to accept that challenge? Because Paul understood that that obedience helped him live on the edge of whatever happened. Second thing here, obedience teaches us to have an eternal perspective. Paul lived the life of where he had prominence. He had power. He had that pedigree. And he was on the ladder and the trajectory for great things that the world ascribes to want and to have. But Paul understood something about obedience. That when we have an eternal perspective, we do not get sidetracked with the temporal fame and the fleeting adulation of this world. You ever notice something about people, whatever they are, singers, athletes, entertainers, there's a a point that, 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 that they rise and then what happens? They peak. And then you know what happens? You, see, you know, what happens, you know what happens to stars, right? Get up early in the morning and ride down the interstate where it's just you and the stars. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see shooting stars. You're going to see falling stars because that's what happens to stars. And whatever it is that we're rising to in this world, we're going to peak. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to descend. We're going to decline. And you know what? If that's all you have to live for, you know what you are? You're like all of these 80, these, these 1980s musical artists that are 65 and 70 years old that are still trying to go around and sing songs from 40 years ago. That's, that's what you are. 
Man, I, I'm in Atlanta all the time, and, and the station up there that I listen to for the traffic reports, they always talk about concerts at the, at the Gas South Arena and the Ameris Bank Theater and the Fox Theater and all these venues, and it's all these old dudes and gals. And, they, and, and inevitably, every day, so-and-so's had to cancel four shows because of unforeseen, unforeseen circumstances. You're 75 years old, and you're trying to have a tour of the world? What is wrong with you? Unforeseen? Unforeseen? You're going to sit there? You, you, your voice has been shot 40 years ago, all that screaming you did back then, and now you're sitting here trying to belt these tunes out. You couldn't find that note with a, with a doggone metal detector, man. You are so desperate, flying around the world, man, trying to relive those glory days, and that's all you got. And they, they can't make the show. Maybe they'll reschedule. reschedule. My, when? Well, that show they canceled in 2023. They're coming back in 2030. Man, that, what? Yeah, I hear it every day. That, that's what happens when we don't live with an eternal perspective. When the world is all you got, that's what you're going to be. You're going to be Mick Jagger out here nearly 90 years old. The man has got his skin hanging on a skeleton, man. He couldn't sing 50 years ago. He never could dance. He's like a chicken walking around with no feathers. It's a pathetic scene if you've ever saw it. It borders on the edge of obscene like some people I've seen jogging down the street recently. It's absolutely pathetic, but that's what happens when you're living for the fleeing fame and adulation of this world. Oh, you're going to rise, and man, it's going to be great. boy. But you know what's going to happen? You're going to peak, and you're going to go over the hill. And there's an end coming. There's an end coming. Paul said, I have an eternal perspective because notice what he says. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. Not misery, but with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul said, I'll give my life away for the glory of God. It's been said that there are two great moments in a person's life. The moment that we're born and the moment that we realize why we were born. And I would, I would say in the life of a Christian, those two important dates are the day that you are reborn and the day that you discover why you were reborn. In other words, you've come to Christ in saving faith. Now God, what do you want me to do? And be faithful to do it. Because the last thing that Paul teaches us here about obedience, see, it is obedience that satisfies our deepest longings. It is, it is the understanding in our heart of hearts that God has me living for something that is greater than all of this other stuff around me, and I'm going to commit my life. I know why I'm here. I know what God's gifted me with. I'm going to implore that for His glory, and I'm going to do that faithfully. And at the end of the day, when the car's in the shop, it shouldn't be, but it is, and all of these other things are going along. I dropped my protein shake this morning, and it's a mess. Fell in the floorboard. Now the car's going to smell like sour milk. All of these things that happen that are out of my control, 
I'm going to be able to move right on past that. And look, it's, it's, look I know that's silly. Because, look, not only do you get that, those kinds of things, but you also have to go get the checkup. You get the bad report or the not-so-good report. And, and you get those things. That, that, that is life. But what keeps us moving forward? Because we understand that, that this world here does not satisfy my soul. That there is a longing for something greater than that and that only comes when I am obedient to what God has called me to do. And, 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 and that doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. And it doesn't matter what else happens. I can still fulfill the will and the purpose of God in my life and I can be sick while I'm doing it. I, and I can be faithful during that time and I can have all of the disappointments and the upsets of life and still be faithful and move forward to fulfill that deepest longing in my life that all of the praise of this world are never going to give you. Never going to give you. That's why you keep having to do it over and over and over again he boasted this cause that I received from Christ it is worthy and I'm giving it to you and I'm telling you to pursue it with all of your heart because these other things positions and titles and all of the new stuff that we can buy and all that, that those things they may be nice but they will not satisfy our deepest longing we have a culture today where we, we live one way and we post to a site that says we're living in a way that is completely, in most cases, 180 degrees different than how things really are. Why? Because we're just acknowledging something here, that the world cannot satisfy our deepest longing. That's why it's fake book. We, we're, we're appealing through video for likes and retweets, and thumbs ups, or whatever the, the, the new thing is. We're appealing, our culture is appealing for that. They want satisfaction. They want, they're longing for acceptance, and only God will give you that without all of these deadly strings attached. Paul understood that, and he said, I'm coming back no more. And they understood that. And they were sorrowful. And they went. They kissed Paul because of what he meant to them. And they, and they went as far as they could with Paul till he boarded the ship and waved by. And I'm sure they sat there and they watched it sail over the horizon because they knew they would never see him again. The only caveat to that is that in the Christian world, we will. We will. We're all going to leave a legacy. Long after we leave this world, our legacy, what we've done for Christ, that's going to live on. And that's going to continue to bring forth fruit and reward. That's why when we leave this world, we don't go right to the judgment seat of Christ. Because the works that we've done are still working. Folks, that's, that is satisfaction to muster on through the difficult. 
To teach when you don't feel like it. To preach when you don't feel like it. To minister when you don't feel like it. To encourage when you feel like you don't have it in you anymore. To keep on doing. To keep on serving. And be committed and surrendered. Because you know in the end, there's a longing that is satisfied when we're obedient to the cause of Christ. It's eternal. And obedience gives us that perspective and it satisfies our deepest longing. You just pick the person through history. Testimony after testimony of people that have achieved all of this stuff never made them happy. Only in Christ is there satisfaction, is there fulfillment. Because God is giving you a new spirit that changes your mind, your will, your emotions, and it changes where you determine these hands and these feet are going to go. I'm living on obedience. I'm living on mission for the glory of God. I pray that is your heart today. Boy, we need that today. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved, that's where it starts. It starts with the conviction of God in my heart to coming to the realization in my life that I am I'm not His. But Lord, I know that I need to be and I want to be. And through bended knee and heart and confessing before God that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, the Lord said, if you call on the name, my name, the Lord, you'll be saved. That offer still stands today. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit today that if you're not saved, today you would be saved. And if God is dealing in your heart or ministering to you in your heart and moving you to unite with this church and make that commitment publicly so that you will, through obedience, serve the Lord, then you come in just a moment. You step out in faith and you come. Be obedient to what God has called you to do. And I want to tell you, just as Paul would tell you, I promise you that when we do that, you're never going to be more fulfilled than when you're living the will of God in your life. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Now God, move us to obedience today. I pray in the matchless and the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand?